Well, good morning. Glad to see you all here on this, uh, man, this is a crisp, cool spring Sunday morning. Uh, what, a, what a nice morning, but uh, glad that you're here. We, over the past several weeks, um, if you've been around, you know we've been just kind of taking the Lord's Prayer, and uh, we've been dissecting it line by line. And uh, this morning, we're, second, we're ready for the second to the last phrase of this prayer. We're going to wrap this up, uh, n- not next week, but the, the following week. Uh, but we've only got a couple of phrases left. We're, we're at the second to the last phrase. And I want us to, to read this together, this phrase. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. And uh, so if you've got your Bibles and you want to go there, you can do that. It should be up on the screen. But Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. And let's read this together. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us. Not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, the reason that Jesus says we should pray this, and if you remember, we talked about this. This is a prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that the early church prayed, not just uh, every week as they gathered together, but they would pray it three times a day. And the reason that Jesus says that we should pray this part of the prayer frequently is because temptation is something that we all struggle with, right? If you said no, you just gave in to it and you lied. So uh, we do. We all, uh, you know, being tempted is, is simply part of the human condition. If, if you're alive, you're tempted. In, in fact, I heard a story this past week about these four guys who uh, would regularly get together for coffee and accountability, and they were just doing what John Wesley had recommended that people do, and that's gather together in small groups for accountability and ask each other tough questions, you know, questions like, is there any temptation that you're struggling with? Or have you given in to any sin this week? Have you given in to temptation? And, and so they were doing that. They were just kind of getting vulnerable with each other. And, and so they were asking those tough questions and, and they were going around the group. And so the first guy, he says, you know, to be honest with you, this past week I struggled a little bit in the area of lust. In fact, I, I'm embarrassed to admit it. I hate to say it, but I was on the computer and I I looked at some things on the internet that I shouldn't have been looking at. And so they gathered around him and they prayed for him and encouraged him. And and then the second guy says, well, you guys know, I've talked about this before, that one of my struggles is gambling. And I know it's a problem and I know the impact that it has on my family and how costly it is. And he says, and I'm embarrassed to admit this, but this past week I, I went to the boats and I lost $500. And so they gathered around him and and prayed for him and encouraged him. And then the third guy says, uh, again, you guys know this, you know me, you know I've struggled with alcohol and this past week there was some stress, it was just a rough week and and, uh, I I hit the bottle, I, I, I dealt with it that way. And so they prayed for him and encouraged him and finally it was the last guy's turn. He was new and so he had just kind of been taking it all in and so they all look at him, it's his turn. And, and he's on the phone, and he's like, I just got to finish this and send this. He said, okay, so I appreciate all your vulnerability, and uh, you guys don't know me, but I want to share. One of my struggles is gossip, and um, I just posted all this on the internet, so I fell too. So. <laughs> they didn't pray for him. They beat the crap out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, we all know that temptation is part of the human condition. Um, we all have areas in our lives, and, and for each of us, it may be a different area. It's not the same, but we all have areas where we're susceptible to temptation. 
And, and regardless of where we are spiritually, none of us are above being tempted. It's a part of life. Now, we can overcome temptation. We're going to talk about that. But all of us are tempted, which is why I believe in the Lord's Prayer. And this is so interesting because when Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this, he only gives us a few lines. There, there are lots of things that he could have said. He said, you know, he could have said, like, when you pray, make sure every time you pray, you pray for some cousin who is sick. Because, I mean, we pray that a lot. You know, please pray for my cousin Shirley who has a cold this week. And we pray for He, he doesn't say that. In, in this very limited, few-line prayer, one of the things he says, it is important to pray, lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We ought to pray that on a regular basis. Now, now when we talk about temptation, what we're talking about in this sense is we're talking about this internal lure that we feel towards something that either we know is wrong or something to which we simply don't want to do. Something that we know may not be good for us. You know, sometimes the truth is we're tempted to do things that aren't necessarily morally wrong. They're not necessarily a sin. We just know that they're not good for us. For instance, you know, you take dieting, for instance. And I know this will come as a shock to many of you. Um, this is a revelation. But weight is something that, that I've struggled with over the years. I know that's a shock to many of you. Um, and, and here's the deal. It's not like it's a big secret on how to lose weight. I mean, it's pretty simple. Eat healthy and exercise. Take in less calories. Or take in less calories, yeah, than you're expended. I got it. That, that might have been the problem. I just figured that out. But no, take in less than you expend, Right? But, but, but for those of you who have struggled with your weight, think about this. Why is it that whenever you try ice cream and cheesecake and ribs, come on, can I get an amen? I mean, they become so attractive to us. It's like that's what we think about. Every time we turn around, we think, I mean, we dream of ice cream and cheesecake and, and all those enticing foods. And, and I mean, think about this. You tell me which of these two things are more enticing. That or that. Come on. You know, and, and it's not like that this caramel dessert, this ice cream, caramel chocolate, all this, all that, oh, yumminess. It's not like that that's a moral sin. It's just tempting, Right? Temptation is something that draws you from one thing that might be better for you to something that's not as good for you. And we all, we all know this. It's not rocket science. We know that the rule of thumb is that carrot sticks are better for you than ice cream. That's the rule. Which this is how temptation works. Temptation works like this. Whenever there is a rule that is set before us, and again, the rule may have nothing to do with sin, but whenever there's a rule that is set before us, there is something in us, and, and those of us who are, are believers in the Bible, we, believe, we know what this is. It comes from original sin, but there is something that is in us where suddenly we want what we're not supposed to have or what we've chosen not to have. 
And, and, and before you know, anybody gets too self-righteous in here, when, before you're like, well, not me, you know, I had no problem choosing that plate of carroty crunchedness, deliciousness, beautiful orange carrots over that gross, yucky ice cream. To you, I say this. <laughs> In fact, let me ask you this. For those of you uppity, self-righteous food folks who have never struggled with your eating habits, whenever the speed limit sign says 55, how fast do you drive? In fact, let's do this all together, okay? On the count of three, when, when, when the speed limit is 55, on the count of three, I want you to shout out as loud as you can how fast you drive. you got to be honest, okay? We don't have anybody here waiting to like, okay, take notes and come give you a ticket. After, right, George? And, right, guys? Okay. <laughs> Plug your ears. So when it's 55, how fast you drive? One, two, three. I heard the police officer say 55. I heard everybody else. I heard a lot of 65s. Was there a 95? Did I? I mean, that's, you'll go straight to hell over that one. But Right? What, there's something in us that whenever the rule is, and it doesn't matter if they change the speed limit. I mean, if it's 65, we're going to drive 75, right? That. That's what you see, right? The, the police officers are shaking their head. Exactly right. That's what happens. If it's 75, we're going to drive 80. It's, it's not a, about the speed limit. It's not about the ice cream. It, it's about whatever the rule is. There is something in us that wants to do whatever it is we're not supposed to do. And we know that's the fall. That's just that's kind of how we're wired as human beings. And again, just to avoid any self-righteousness, you know, you may be here and you say, man, I eat carrot sticks. I drive 55. I don't have that problem. Well, maybe for you it's shopping too much. Maybe it's spending more money than you should have. Maybe it's spending money you don't have. Maybe it's um, sleeping in rather than getting up and being productive, or maybe it's watching too much TV, whatever. The point is that all of us at times are tempted away from the better things towards things that ultimately are not the best things for us. And, and, and where the problem comes in in this is that, you know, when it comes to ice cream, when it comes to speeding, although there certainly may be consequences for those things, they may not be the best things for us. There may be some things happen to us that we would prefer not to happen, like an extra 20 pounds or a ticket. But those things within themselves aren't necessarily sin. But, but, the, but sometimes that, that longing, that hunger, that lure that we feel inside of us is leading us toward sin. Which in the end always produces pain. That's what sin produces. For, for those of you who have been around here for a little while, um, one of the other things that you may or may not know about me is that one of the things I love to do is I love to fish. And uh, I was thinking about that this past week. In fact, um, this time of the year, if you're a fisherman, you know that spring is a great time to fish. And so I, I've been thinking about fishing a lot. Haven't got to go really very much because I've been super busy, but I've been thinking about it. In fact, I, um, I brought my fishing pole. 
So if any, oh, and my, uh, I forgot, my lucky hat. You know, everybody, every fisherman has to have a lucky hat. And so, you know, if, you, if you're ready to go, I'm ready. I'm ready. But I was thinking about fishing this past week, and I thought, really, when you think about this whole concept of fishing, the whole thing is centered around temptation. It's really built around the concept of temptation. I mean, as fishermen, what we do is, is we take shiny lures like this one. This one happens to be a spinner bait with a, you know, it's got a, a frilly little skirt on it here, and, and it's got some colorful little shiny things that flash through the water. And, and so what we do is we take this really attractive bait and we toss it out into the water, hopefully where a fish resides. Sometimes I go, and I don't think there's any fish in the water. But, but anyway, we, we throw it out, and the whole goal of the fisherman is somehow to tempt the fish to take their bait. We, we want to make it attractive. And one thing that a good fisherman knows is we know that not all fish are attracted to the same bait. For, for instance, what might attract a largemouth bass may not be attractive at all to a trout. And so a fisherman will study the fish, get to know the fish, try and figure out what's attractive to the fish, and then we throw that. And sometimes when we throw out the bait, you know, sometimes you, you, have, to, you have to try different ones. You have to, one thing may work one time, doesn't work another time, so we have an arsenal. I have, at home, I have, I don't know how many tackle boxes I have, way more than Laura thinks I should have. Um, but there's always some, and, and maybe this works both ways. The sporting good company throw out these shiny bait to the fishermen who spend the money and, and then <laughs> throw it at the fish. It might work that way. But, but anyway, um, you know, sometimes you throw it out. Sometimes, you know, you have to kind of finesse it a little bit. So, sometimes you have to do things like, um, sometimes you have to let the fish take it and run with it and not know that you're on the other end. And, and, not, and, and let the fish think that he's in control of the bait, that he's running with it, and it's his. And, and then once that happens... We set the hook, right? And, and once we set the hook, it's not a good thing for the fish. I, I mean, in my house, what happens to the fish? At my house, the fish goes in the frying pan. And I was thinking about that this past week, and I thought, you know, that really is a perfect picture of temptation. This is the way the temptation and sin work. In fact, someone once said this. I don't know who said it, but I've never forgot what they said. They, they said that, that in the beginning, you may think that you play with sin. But in the end, sin will always play with you. You think you're running with the bait. You, you think you're in control but the reality is, is that when you enter in and you take the bait, sin always plays with you. The, the apostle James talks about this in, in, in his epistle, and he says it like this. He, he says in James chapter 1, he says, everyone is tempted. So again, this includes all of us. We're all tempted. He says, everyone is tempted when he's dragged away, enticed and baited. There's an idea of being baited again by his own desires. This thing that's in us, it's unique to us. He says, then when the illicit desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin has run its course, 
it gives birth to death. You see, what James is saying here is that when, when the temptation presents itself in that moment, this whole idea of birth and conception is so important because in that moment you have a choice. You can either, when sin or temptation presents itself, you can either say no to it and deal with it right then, or you can kind of mold it over in your mind. I heard one pastor talk about this. He says, when it came to sin, there it comes to sin, there is always the moment of the maybe. There's always that moment where you either immediately kill it or you allow it in your mind to become a possibility. That you kind of play with it in your mind. You consider it. But, but the thing is, the longer that we play with temptation on our minds, the greater the probability is that the temptation will be conceived and become sin. It will turn into an action. A, a look becomes a flirt, which becomes a touch, which becomes a kiss. And before you know it, you have stepped across the line and it has given birth to sin. You see, this is the thing about sin, is that nobody ever wakes up one day and says, man, you know what I think I want to do? I, I think I want to have an affair and, and lose my family. No, nobody says, you know what, I hope, I hope someday, my great hope for my life is I hope someday I become an addict. Most of the time, sin doesn't work that way. You, you see, what happens is it, it, it takes place in incremental steps. If we allow ourselves to play with the thought, then incrementally what we do is we move the lines. I've always thought, when I've thought of how sin works and thought about how Satan works, we're going to talk about him in just a moment, but Satan is nothing more than a line mover. It is that he will take a line that one time we said we would never cross, we mull it on our minds, we cross that line, there's a new line, we cross that one, and before we know it, we have crossed a line that we never imagined that we would cross. This is what James is saying here when he talks about this, is, is the longer that you play with temptation, the greater probability it has to conceive, and if you let it conceive or take root in your mind, eventually it turns into an action. James says that, that in the end, it always ends in death. Now, obviously, he's not talking necessarily about physical death. I mean, there, there certainly are unfortunate situations, and all of us probably are familiar with those situations where that happens. In fact, I've known a number of people, and I'm sure you have, where they, they've lost their lives due to an overdose, or they, they got behind the wheel after drinking too much. And so it certainly can happen. But, but there are a bunch of other kinds of death that can take place in our lives because of sin. The death of a relationship, for instance. The death of a career. The death of hopes and dreams. All kinds of death. But the bottom line is that sin, when it's fully conceived, always leads to one place. And it's death. It's interesting that the Bible begins in Genesis with a story about sin and temptation. 
Over the past couple of weeks, we've gone back to this story on a number of different occasions. And the reason why is because this is such a foundational story. This story, it's not just a story about some people who lived a long time ago. This story is our story. This story is a story that gets repeated over and over and over again. And the reason why I say that is because in this story, what we find are human beings just like us who God loves and who he created for a relationship with him, just like us, and they're being tempted to do something that God told them not to do, which ultimately will cause a break in the relationship. I mean, here Adam and Eve are. They're in the garden. This is, it's paradise. God has created everything that they need. He has given them everything that they could ever possibly want to eat, to drink, to, 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 to find enjoyment. And they have all of these great things that God has given to them. And God says, all of this is yours. I created it all for you. And all of this is a sign of my love for you. But God says, there's just one thing you can't have. Just like the ice cream. Just like the speed limit sign. The one thing they can't have becomes the one thing that in their hearts they desire, they desperately want. And, and we know the story. You know how it plays out. The Bible says that there's this serpent that's in the garden. Now, this serpent, if you read the story, this serpent apparently is a walking, talking serpent. This is before the fall. Part of the curse, once, once after the fall, the curse upon the serpent is, is that you will forever crawl on your belly. But this is before the fall. And so this walking, talking serpent comes to Adam and Eve and begins to whisper to them. Now, in my mind, when I, when I read this and envision it, I, I think of um, Jungle Book. Remember Jungle Book, the story of Mowgli, and I don't remember the, the snake, Caw, I think, was the snake's name, the python's name, that, that, that comes and, and talks to Mowgli and tries, he wants to eat Mowgli, and, and, and Mowgli he talks to him, whispers to him, and then Mowgli gets those swirly things in his eyes, you know, goes into a daze. I kind of envisioned that, that he comes and he whispers to Adam and Eve, and, and the whole goal of the serpent's whispers are to plant seeds of doubt in their minds about God. You know, did God really say not to eat the fruit? Is that really what God meant? Now, of course, we know that the serpent represents Satan, the devil. And, and it's interesting what the Bible says about this. In, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says that the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. That word crafty is an important word. In the Hebrew, it's a word that means to be cunning. It's a word that means to be capable of persuading. And so this creature was capable of persuading. You, you, ever, you ever know anybody where they're just really good persuaders? That, that even when you don't want to do something and you know you shouldn't do something, they're such good talkers that they can talk you into stuff that you know you shouldn't do. We shouldn't hang around with people like that. But the serpent is like that. This is the serpent. He's incredibly persuasive. Now, as I've thought about this story, and, and I don't know about you, but I've never seen a walking, talking serpent. However, I'm pretty sure that if a walking, talking snake came up to me and tried to talk me into doing something, I don't care how cunning he is, I'm probably not going to listen to him. 
I mean, that's probably not going to be a great temptation for me. I don't know about you. I'm just saying for me. If a walking, talking snake came up and tried to convince me something, I'm probably going the other direction. But, but what I have instead and what you have instead of a snake is I have a voice in my head. And sometimes that voice does the exact same thing the serpent did. Sometimes that, that voice, it challenges, you know, is it really a big deal? Is what God said really a big deal? I mean, maybe what God meant was for them back in that time, but it's not for us. I mean, you know, did, did, come on, you really kind of deserve this. And what's the big deal? And, and just like the serpent, the voice is crafty and tries to persuade. I think it's interesting that when Jesus was tempted, and, and one of the things that I really appreciate about the Bible is it tells us that Jesus himself, I mean, think about this, God in human flesh. God, who, who came and walked among us on the earth in the flesh of Jesus Christ, he himself was tempted and so we have this story where Jesus is out in the wilderness and he's fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and it says that when he's hungry and when he's tired but that's when the enemy comes right when we're when we're tired when we're wore down when we're stressed when we're susceptible and Jesus is hungry and he's tired and it says that the devil comes to him and tempts him now I want you to think about this when you think about that story, how do you think that the devil came to Jesus in the wilderness? I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. But, but do you think that the devil, when he came, he showed up, you know, in a, in a red suit, spandex, pointy horns, a pitchfork? You know, probably not. That would be too easy. I mean, I mean, who's going to give into anything the devil has to say if we know the devil is the devil, if he's the one talking to us? Come on, the devil never shows up to us. I mean, have you ever had the devil show up to you that way? I haven't. And, and this may be a new thought, but I want you to look at what the writer of Hebrews says about this. He says, for we do not have a high priest. The high priest is Jesus. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness. In other words, Jesus was fully human. And so all of the weaknesses that we experience, he experienced in his life. He says, so we don't have a high priest that doesn't understand what it's like to be weak. He says, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now, most often when we read this passage of Scripture, we tend to think in terms of that Jesus was tempted with all the same types of temptations that we're tempted with. In other words, Jesus was tempted to lie. Jesus was tempted to give in to lust. Jesus was tempted to lash out and beat the tar out of somebody when they did something wrong to him. Jesus was tempted with all of those things. And, and it certainly does mean that. He was tempted in every way that we are. And I could be wrong on this, but I'm thinking that when it says that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, it means he was tempted 
in the same ways that we are. In other words, Jesus is hungry. He, he hasn't eaten for weeks, and there's all these stones all around, and all of a sudden, Satan shows up, not in a red suit with a pitchfork, but Satan comes to him in the same way that he comes to us, as a voice. This, this internal dialogue, you know, you just fasted for 40 days, and you've done this incredibly spiritual, look how spiritual you are. And you fasted, and you're hungry, and, and, and if you would just use your powers for yourself, you could easily convert these stones into bread. I mean, first of all, come on, Jesus, you deserve it. And think about this, that if you did that, imagine the attention you would get. In fact, if you did that all the time, if you just went around converting and, and transforming stones into bread and feeding people, imagine the number of people that would follow you, Jesus. I mean, you wouldn't even have to go to the cross. You, you wouldn't have to, to suffer. You wouldn't have to die. You, you just miraculously give people bread. And then at the high point of the temple, you know, if Jesus, if you just went up there and jumped, look at all of the people that are around. The scripture says that the angels would swoop you up. They wouldn't even allow your foot to strike a stone. No harm would come to you. And imagine that if people saw that, imagine how they would follow you and you wouldn't have to go to the cross. You wouldn't have to suffer for people. And then, of course, the last one, you know, Jesus, if you'll just turn away from the path, that God has set you on and follow my path. I mean, does God really love, think about it, does God really love you? Does he really want what's best for you? I mean, his path leads to suffering and death. My path leads to wealth and power. And of course, we know that Jesus resisted the devil. He doesn't sin. Which, 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 by the way, the solution for dealing with temptation that worked for Jesus is still the same solution that will work for us. First Peter talks about this. He says, your, your enemy, the devil, prowls, allow, prowls around like a roaring lion. Here, here he's described not as a walking, talking serpent, but he's described as this roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I want you to notice what verse 9 says. It says, resist him, standing firm in the faith. James 4, 7 says it like this. It says, submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he'll do what? Flee. He has to flee. I, I love this because even though the devil is described as, as like these ferocious, uh, fearsome beasts. Now, I, I don't like snakes. I'm scared of snakes. And I'd certainly be terrified if there were a roaring lion in my face. But the Bible says that all we have to do is resist him and he will flee. In other words, this... Who, who, who Was it Nancy Reagan that had a slogan? Just say no. Just say no. I'm not going to listen to you. When the thought, don't allow there to be the moment of the maybe. No. No, I'm not going to listen to you. You can resist him, and the Bible says that he has to flee. In essence, this is what we're praying for. 
When we pray this prayer that Jesus gave us on a regular basis, this portion of the Lord's prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, this is what we're doing. We're resisting the devil. Now, now there are a couple things that I want to deal with real quick um, before we let you go. First of all, the question I think that's important to answer is, why do we need to pray for God not to lead us into temptation? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I mean, why would God ever lead us into temptation? Why do we have to? And if God had a good reason to lead us into temptation, why would we pray for him not to do that if there's a good reason for him to do So why would we pray, God, don't lead me into temptation? When you think about it, the sentence doesn't even make any sense. Let's just dig into that a little bit. First of all, understand, God never leads us into temptation. In James chapter 1, he says, No one is to say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. And so why does Jesus, if that's true, why does Jesus say we should pray for God not to lead us into temptation? Well, what I want to suggest to you this morning is that's not what you're praying when you pray this. In fact, when, when we read that, when we pray that, typically we actually read it and we pray it wrong. Actually, uh, there's a very simple answer for that as to why we do that. The reason why goes back, we've talked about translation uh, a couple of weeks. We talked about how uh, both Matthew and Mark, when they wrote their Gospels, they took what Jesus said in Aramaic, they translated it into Greek because that was the language of the day. And, 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 and in Greek, this is the, the, the answer, in Greek, they don't use commas. They, they don't have commas in Greek. And so because we don't know where the pause should be, we just run it all together in one sentence and we leave out the pause. One, one interpreter I read said this. He said, we need to make sure to get the comma in there in the right place. And so how we should really pray is like this. Lead us. Pause. Lead us. That's what we're praying for. When we get up in the morning, we should pray, Lord, would you please lead me today? Lord, would you lead me wherever it is that you want me to go? Would you lead me to do whatever it is that you want me to do? Would you lead me, as it says in Psalm 23, in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake? That's how we're meant to pray this prayer. And then after the comma, it's lead me, not into temptation, which that's the path we tend to take for ourselves. You see, this is how it works. When I follow my own leading, I always tend to wind up on the path of temptation. Whenever I lean into my own understanding, as the scripture says, whenever I follow my own wisdom, my own leading, it it tends to lead to places of temptation. God's leading always leads us away from temptation. Like, Like God has never led me to a bar before or a strip club. he's never done that I've never been praying and God said you know what today I think I want you to go out and and, and hang out at the adult bookstore God's never done that now I I will say this that when Laura and I were living in Kansas a friend of mine pastored a church and there was a strip club that was down the street from the church 
And God laid it on some of the ladies in the church to go and minister to the women that worked at the strip club. And, and so they were obedient. They went. They just loved on those ladies. They cared for them. They served them. And, and as a result, a number of those women came to know Jesus, and the strip club's not in business anymore. And so, yeah, we, we ought to clap for that. Some, some churches would clap for that, right, Pastor Brad? And so if you're a lady, God might lead you that way. But if you're a dude, don't come up to me and say, well, I think God is leading me to go minister at the strip club. No, he's not. He doesn't do that. And so when we pray this, we need to, we need to pause for a moment. God, lead us. Not into temptation. Lord, not on the path that I want to go, but on the path that you want me to go. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. From evil. You, you, know, you know the best way to be delivered from evil? It's to intentionally avoid temptation. Now, now sometimes temptations just come unexpectedly and we can't control it. That's just the reality of life. I was thinking about this last week and I, my mind went back to years ago. Um, I, I, I struggled greatly with alcohol. And anybody knows me knows that one of the things, I have an addictive personality, I do, which is probably why I struggle with my weight, but years ago it was alcohol. And there was a period in my life, I'm not proud of it, I'm ashamed of it, but it's part of my story. And years ago there was a period in my life where I was drinking heavily, five, six nights a week, and I would go to the bar and I would go to the club and I would drink so heavily that to the point where sometimes I didn't remember what I did or how I even got home. And thankfully, God healed me, and he delivered me from that. And, and, and I haven't had a drink in over 30 years. So yay God for that, right? God can do that. But a few years ago, we were in Kansas still, and, and we were going through some things. It was a really stressful time with our son. And, and, and I had stopped at a convenience store there in Spring Hill, Kansas, and I, I got some gas, and I went in to get something to drink. And as I was walking by the coolers where the alcohol was, all of a sudden, just out of the blue, it hit me. Out of the blue, th this voice that said, wouldn't it be nice to just have a drink? Wouldn't it be nice to just kind of unwind a little bit? In fact, what's the big deal? Just one time. Just buy the whole case, man. Drink it all. Check out. And honestly, when that happened, it, it shocked me, first of all. I mean, I hadn't had a drink at that time in over 20 years and really hadn't felt tempted to drink in any way. But, but man, that temptation out of the blue, 20-some years later, it just hit me. And, and it wasn't long. I, I did what we talked about. I, I, didn't, I didn't allow the moment of the maybe. I resisted it in that moment. And just as the promise says, it left me. The enemy had to flee. But I got back in my car and I was like, God, where did that come from? You see, sometimes temptations come like that. Just out of the blue. We, we can't control it. All we can do is deal with it in the moment that it comes. But, but here's the reality. Some of us have the tendency to play with temptation. 
We, we find ourselves leading ourselves into temptation. You know, I'll, I'll look, but I won't touch. It, it's, it's really, you know, it's really not hardcore porn. It's just swimsuits. I'll, I'll just have one or two drinks. I'll stop after that. I'll just hang out with my buddies who use, but I'm not going to. We can so easily find ourselves leading ourselves into temptation. Like, like it, it's one thing for me to be tempted out of the blue when I'm getting gas, but it's a whole other thing for me to say, you know what, I think I'm just going to go down and hang at the bar. See what I'm saying? When we pray, Lord, lead us, he's typically going to lead us away from things that we struggle with. Things that we wrestle with. Things like anger and bigotry and hate and indifference and gossip and drinking and drugs and sexual immorality. He leads us away, not into. One last thing. That word deliver is a, that's a beautiful word. In fact, the word that is used in the original Greek is a, is a word that it creates this image of, of swooping in, of, of, of picking up and rescuing from certain disaster. And, and so it's like, God, in those moments, like, like for me in the convenience store, in those moments when the roaring lion is seeking to devour me, to pull me back in because he wants to destroy me. Now, now again, we don't know when those moments are going to come. It's not like I woke up that morning and thought, man, I really want to be tempted today. So this is why we need to pray this regularly. God, when those moments come, I need you to rush to me. I need you to swoop me up. I need to, you to save me, and I need you to deliver me. Because sometimes I don't even know that I'm heading in a direction that in the end might lead to pain. So Lord, please lead me. Not into temptation, but when I get too close. Or, or when I've blown it. And I made a mess of my life. And I've actually gone ahead and done the thing that I didn't want to do. In that moment... Would you please swoop in? Would you save me? Would you rescue me? Would you deliver me? Would you not forget about me? Last weekend, um, we had our, our little baby, 10-month-old grandson with us for the weekend. And um, he's at that age where he's not quite walking yet. He'd like to. And, and so he's not, he's not quite walking yet, but man, that kid can crawl. I mean, he's an ex, and he's fast, way faster. I didn't know kids could, I forgot, I didn't know kids could crawl that fast. And so he's like everywhere, and all boy, and full of energy, and, and just, I mean, all over the place. And so we had him, and, and Saturday we were in the kitchen, and he was sitting on the kitchen floor playing with some toys, and uh, Laura and I were preparing a meal, and, and I had the grill going, and had some hamburgers out on the grill, 
And so um, we have a patio door that goes off of our kitchen, and then it goes down a couple of steps, and there's a cement uh, slab there that my grill sits out on there. And so I had gone out to check the burgers, and I opened the door. It was a beautiful day out, and so I left the door open, not thinking, and I went over, and I'm checking the, the grill, and all of a sudden, you know, out of the corner of my eye, Gage, he's 10 months old, and wherever Pop-Pop is, he wants to be where, where Pop is. And so um, he, he had made, he saw me go out, and he's on my tail, and I couldn't get to him. And right when he's getting ready to, you know, kind of go out head first, and it was only two steps, wouldn't have killed him, but it would have hurt. But, but right when he's getting ready to go, Laura, out of the blue, swooped in, gathered him up. And rescued him from the pain he was about to experience. See, this is what we pray for. This is what we ask God for. This is what he wants to do for us. Part of the human condition is we're going to be tempted. But God has promised that when we are, he will always provide a way of escape. That's why we need him to lead us. That's why we can't lean on our own understanding, our own wisdom. We need to lean on his wisdom. I'm going to invite the band to come, and I want to close with this story. Some of you may have heard this before, but I read this this past week, and I thought, man, this is it. But, but there was this Native American grandfather who was telling his grandson about this whole idea, about the wrestling that we have with temptation. and He, he said that, that, that all of us have within us Two competing voices. We have the voice of the Holy Spirit. We have the voice that that wants to lead us in the paths of righteousness. And then we have the voice of the enemy that will lead us away from that. And so in trying to uh, explain this or help his grandson understand it, he compared those two voices. He said they're kind of like two wolves that live inside of you. And these two wolves are competing for control over you. There's a good wolf who has compassion and is kind and wants to protect you and care for you. And then there's another wolf who all he wants to do is he wants to devour and destroy and lead you into what's wrong and evil. And when the little grandson heard that, he said, well, Grandpa, how do I know which wolf is going to win out? To which the grandfather said, Whichever one that you feed will be the one that wins. Whichever one that you feed will be the one that wins. You see, part of what we do when we gather together like this on Sunday mornings is we come to feed the good wolf, right? Part of what we do when we, when we pray and when we spend time in the Word is we invite the Holy Spirit to come and remind us of who we are and how much He loves us and the plans that He has for us. We invite God to lead us. It's part of what we do when we pray, when we spend time with God, when we spend time with each other, when we enter into accountability with each other. You see, temptation is going to come, but God has provided a means for which we don't have to fall into it. And on the occasion, if we do, God is a God of second chances and third chances 
and four chances. And however many chances we need. Because that's who he is. And so this morning, here's what I want to do as we close things out. We're going we're to pray this prayer in just a moment. But before we do, I want to invite you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never, ever entered into a relationship with this kind of God that I'm talking about. Maybe instead, you've always viewed God, rather than being kind and compassionate, as he's the kind of God who's just waiting to kind of drop the hammer on you, just waiting for you to mess up, waiting to make you pay, just wants to send you to hell. Man, that couldn't be further than the truth. God has provided every means possible for you to be in relationship with him. He sent his one and only son, the most precious gift that he had, to a Roman cross to suffer and to die. Jesus could have given in to temptation. He could have picked a different way and said, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to come up with my own plan. But he loved you so much. He said, I'm willing to go through that, man. I'm willing to be beaten. I'm willing to be made fun of. I'm willing to be whipped. I'm willing to be crucified. I'm willing to shed my blood so that you can be in relationship with me. And if you've never accepted that free gift of salvation, accepted the forgiveness that Jesus has, this morning all you have to do is just say, Jesus, I accept it now. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, forgive me. I accept that gift that you've already given. That Today I accept it. Forgive me for my sins. And I give you my life. If you're here this morning and you walked in feeling defeated that either you've been wrestling with temptation or you've just blown it. You know, you gave in to it. Oh, God is a forgiving God. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. And so this morning, if that's you, I just want to invite you just to have a conversation in your own heart, man. To say, Jesus, I blew it. I, I fell. I, I allowed that moment of the maybe. I played with it too long, and it, I've been burned by it. And today, I want to ask you to forgive me. I asked that you would lead me I don't want to follow my own path, not into temptation. Lead me, deliver me, swoop in, pick me up, rescue me. I need you in Jesus' name. I want you to know this morning that if you prayed either of those prayers, God is faithful. He'll never reject his children. He'll always say yes. He'll always forgive. And so let's do this. We're going to have a closing song here in a moment, but let's stand together. And I want us to pray this prayer. And it may be a challenge because some of us have probably prayed it the same way for a long time, but we're going to pray it the way that it's meant to be prayed, okay? And so let's pray this out loud together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us, not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.